What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the show. Today, I have with me Erin, or you guys probably know her as Food Science Babe. Erin is a food scientist who has a BS in chemical engineering from the University of Minnesota. She's worked in the food industry for over a decade, both in the conventional and organic sectors. Erin combats misleading food claims online with her hashtag FactsNotFear to share the truth about agriculture, food marketing, and more. You can find Erin on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Patreon, and she's an absolute wealth of knowledge, and we are very lucky to have her here today. So what do we talk about? We talk about what does organic mean, right? Is it more nutritious? Is it better for the environment? How is it better for the consumer or not? We talk about what are GMOs? Should should we be worried about them? How might they actually be helpful? And last, we talk about what are health halos and how are they misleading and other marketing terms and how annoying they can be once you actually know better and how confusing they can be when you don't. Really, really enjoyed this episode. It's definitely something that I think the average consumer, I guess we are all average consumers, needs to hear about some of these health halos and marketing terms so that you are a more uh, educated consumer and you can make better decisions for you. Enjoy the episode. Aaron, how's it going? Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it a ton. I'm a big, big, big fan of your content. So how's everything going? We were just talking off air. You're from Minnesota. How's everything over there? Yeah, it's good. It's hot here. Um, Very hot June for Minnesota, but it's good. (laughs) How's like the COVID situation? Um, It's all right. I mean, my my daughter is um, five years old, so she we're just sort of we're still kind of hunkering down until she is able to get vaccinated. But um, yeah, hopefully, slowly but surely getting back to a little bit of more normalcy. Yeah, <laughs> so. definitely. Yeah, the world is definitely craving for some normalcy. Hopefully not at yeah. an expense, of course, but yeah, definitely craving some, right. some normalcy. Sure. Yeah. Awesome. So before we get started, I like to give the listener a little bit of an idea of why I wanted to have you on because I just think there's an literal unlimited amount of people that I could ask to be on the podcast. So kind of why you, but I think there's so many people out there on Instagram in, at least in my space, which is a little bit more on the fitness side, which is like, okay, we're, we're talking reverse dieting. We're talking calorie deficit. We're talking training to failure, best exercises for glutes. Like how much protein should we eat? And there's definitely, you know, charlatans and people who kind of talk a little bit of nonsense in that regard. But when it comes to like the ultra, ultra bullshit, I feel like it's going to be from some of the stuff that you debunk and you do an amazing job explaining really well uh, when it comes to like food science and organic foods and specific nutrients and uh, uh, some things that I just, maybe it's because there's a scientific component, but it's, it's something that people just take massively at face value. I think on average, people are not the best critical thinkers when it's something outside of their scope, but I just think it takes, it gets taken to a, a whole new low with some of the stuff that you're fighting off. And I just imagine you like, it's like a cartoon, like uh, atop a mountain, like fighting off all these charlatans. And I would call them charlatans, but it's it's that might actually be too nice. It's like literally, like sometimes it's like TikTokers and it's like just very broad sweeping claims. So I think you do an amazing job from the food science, obviously, you know, as per your uh, IG handle would say, an amazing job debunking, but also not just shitting on people, explaining it really, really well. So I think you do an a, a almost untouched, unparalleled job at that. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I I actually used to believe some of these things that I now debunk. So um, I try hard. I mean, it's, it's really difficult with all of the misinformation that I'm tagged on on a daily basis to not just get frustrated. So sometimes I have to st- step back and remember, like, I used to believe some of this stuff, too. So how would I want to be talked to if I were, you know, ready to question my biases. So um, I kind of approach it from that perspective. 
Yeah, that makes sense. I think I get I get asked quite a bit on what I'm doing a Q&A or something, you know, do you ever get tired of answering the same questions? And it's like if, you know, if I was the person or I have been that person who probably asked the same question at some point, I'm going to want like I don't mind answering it the same way because if I keep asking answering the same question, like there's people who still have that question. Um and there's no right. and the more you're getting a question, the less like even if it feels obvious, maybe because you know it or you've said it a million times, like there are still people who don't know and you're going to do a good job and a service by them to like be kind about it and really break it right. down in like a really non-judgmental way. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So before we kick it off, tell everybody who lives under a rock and doesn't actually follow you and know you, which hopefully is very few people, but maybe just me selfishly. I'm curious. One, I have an idea, but obviously where your Instagram handle food science babe came from um, and what your educational background is and kind of how you got into the field of fighting off these charlatans. If, you, yeah, if that's so, even your real, obviously not your real job, you know, but you, you had, yeah. yeah. So my, um, my Instagram handle came from a very popular account that doesn't have the word science in it. Um, so it's very an political. account. Um, yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> um, so it's an account that shares quite a bit of misinformation. Some of it that, um, like I said before, like I, may have believed you know 10 or so years ago and um it's one of those things that isn't it's there are certain accounts like that one where it's not like very obviously false or like maybe there is some accurate info every once in a while and so it almost doesn't seem as harmful but i almost feel like it's even more harmful because it's not very obvious um, and so, you know, a lot of these people spreading a lot of this misinformation too, like they don't even work in the food industry. And so, um, you know, I've worked in the food industry now for over 10 years. Um, I, I got my bachelor's in chemical engineering from the University of Minnesota. And then um, I, I wanted to, I knew I wanted to work in the food industry. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but um, right out of college, I started working at a corn milling plant in Iowa in an engineering role, since that's what I went to school for and quickly realized that I wanted to get more into um, research and development and product development. And so that was at a large um, conventional ingredient company. At the time, I would, I would have called myself an organic consumer. I believed organic was, was better, was healthier. Um, you know, didn't really look into the research much at that point in time. I just was like, hey, I can afford it. I think it's, it's better. So um, yeah, so I ended up wanting to get more into a product development role at that company and um so i ended up getting into more of a sort of in between like a food scientist working on the bench top and like full-scale production so my, i ended up getting into a role that was um a manager of a pilot plant there so basically it was like a small scale plant so i would work with food scientists developing products on the bench shop and then we'd scale it up to like the pilot plant. And then I would take that to full scale production, um, you know, before products would be commercialized and things like that. So it was just cool, like um, being involved in the whole process from like concept all the way through until it would get on store shelves. Like I was involved in sensory testing, um, you know, consumer testing, all that kind of stuff. So that's how I kind of got started in doing what I'm still doing today. Um, I actually, I actually sought out a more, a smaller company, a more natural company, because that aligned with my values at the time. And so um, I worked at that large conventional company for about four years. And then I ended up getting a position at a very, very small startup uh, snack company. Um, 
And it wasn't really until that role where I started sort of questioning these labels because um, they were such a small company that I was actually the one to get their products non-GMO verified and organic certified. And I just kind of started realizing like, oh, you just like, you just pay these, these organizations and you know, it's like a lot of paperwork and it doesn't necessarily mean that it's healthier or safer. And, you know, just being involved in the marketing meetings and it's like, oh, our target market will pay for these labels. So we're going to put these labels on it. Just sort of realizing like more and more how it was a lot of marketing. Um, and it wasn't really until I had my daughter five years ago that, you know, becoming a mom, just realizing like how much of that marketing is specifically targeted towards moms of young children. And so that's kind of, um, I kind of started like thinking I kind of want to start a page um, to kind of combat a lot of this misinformation. So um, I think it was like maybe two and a half years ago, I started my page just to kind of, you know, I had no idea what it would end up being. Like I was just sick of it. And so I was like, I'm going to start my page. Um, and yeah, here we are. So now I, I, I take care of my daughter. And then I also, I still work in the food industry. I, I um, do consulting. So I, I work part-time now since I take care of my daughter. So um, I consult now for mostly small startup food companies here in the Minneapolis area. So, Wow, super cool. I did not know that background about you. The whole time I'm thinking, first of all, sitting in that room for those marketing meetings is something I wish could we could get tapes of that out there and like, that is something that you are doing on Instagram is kind of being a bridge of like from that metaphorical meeting all the way down to the consumer, which I definitely get that from you. It makes sense that you were had those feet on the ground. Like at what mm -hmm. point, and you don't, you can not answer and we can, you don't, you can, we can not talk about this if we want to go any deeper, but like at what point were you like, there's a little bit of a conflict of interest here. Like at what point did you start to catch on? And did that come to a point where you're like, were you speaking on that in this company or did it get to a point where you were like, I thought this is what aligned really with what I wanted. And as I learned more and got more immersed in that uh, marketing side of things and getting, being in charge of getting the organic seal of approval or whatever, like, did it come to a point where you were just like, Hey, enough's enough. Like I, you learned so much that you're like, actually I'm good. I don't, this isn't really aligning with me anymore. It's, it's really tough because um, when you are a small company um, in order to get your product on the shelf, to get people buying it, like I, I get where a company does that like it's smart like it's i understand it like it may, yeah it, it, so it's it's tough for me because <laughs> and it was tough for me to be in those meetings because um you know a lot of times just for specific so i was also like doing a lot of regulatory work because uh, they didn't have a regulatory department so it was always like can we say this can we say this and i kind of had to be the one to be kind of push back like no that's not necessarily accurate like no, you can't say that. And I get where, like, I get where it comes from. I mean, especially people that work in marketing, like that is their job when, it, and specifically when these are small companies trying to get into a large, you know, the snack industry is huge. And to get in there and get people to start buying your product, like sometimes a way to differentiate yourself is like, okay, we're going to make this product that's already out there, but there's not a non-GMO version. So let's have that be like our little space. So like, I totally get it from a marketing perspective, but it is really difficult to know like the science side of it too. And just, um, it's tough because I understand why companies do it, but at the same time, it is frustrating because I know that it doesn't mean what the consumer thinks it means. So, so 
I'm curious, how often are those claims challenged and who are they challenged by? Obviously, I have an idea. And, and maybe where, you know, this is a tough question, but where is that line drawn? You know, like at what point is it like a non-GMO product that literally just has no GMO like ever? And now I'm putting the mm -hmm. seal on that where now I'm not I'm not lying, but I'm being directly misleading. And where is that line drawn? And, and, and how often are these, I guess it's the FDA maybe, who's in charge of these, like making sure these claims are actually challenged. But is that a common occurrence? Are people really like, I'll walk through the shelf of any supermarket and be able to just, you know, pick something up and be like, well, this is either entirely misleading or factually incorrect. Now, there might be a difference between those two legally of like, okay, it's misleading. It's not incorrect, though. Um, is that where the line is drawn? And how often are those those claims actually challenged? Yeah, so that's what, what is, and I still do re regulatory work. So that's what is tough, because it always comes back to like, well, what do the regulations say? Like, am I allowed to say it? Most times, if it's like, yeah, you are, like, they're going to say it. So, you know, I'll, I'll still have the conversation like, um, you know, I, I recently had a company that was like, we want to say that we're using, it was something like we want to, we want to communicate that we're using like better sources of sugar. And, and I was kind of like, cause they were using like coconut sugar. And I was like, kind of explaining to them, like, that's not really true. Like, I don't really think you should say that. Um, a lot of times it's not something that like the FDA really has a clear regulation on. So sometimes it's just like, you have to take that risk and realize like legally you could potentially get into trouble. So sometimes, you know, I, you know, just, I'll just tell them like, this doesn't really make sense. Um, it's ultimately up to you if you want to say it. Right. However, like I could see, you know, yeah. yeah. And like I could, in a lot of times too, it's like, I could see where you could get sued over this too, because it's like, you can't really prove that it's a better source of sugar or whatever you're trying to say. But a lot of times it really just comes down to like, well, legally or, you know, FDA wise, like what can we and can we not say? So sometimes it's really not like, I, I don't want to say they don't care, but like a lot of times it is sort of just like, well, that's what we want to say. Like, just tell me if we can say it or not. Sure, <laughs> like, sure. Yeah, they're not paying so, you to make yeah. that final decision for them. They're paying for you to right. kind of give them the honest truth and then they are going to do yeah. with that what they want, which I understand, of course. Yeah. They're not, they know what yeah. they're hiring you for. Yeah, yeah. fascinating. Right. Super, super cool. Yeah. So that's a really good segue into our first topic, which I think is going to be organic food and the label of being organic. And I think a good place to jump in with that is to talk about something people have just heard a billion times, which is the quote unquote dirty dozen and clean 15. And maybe we could just talk about, is there any merit to that? Where did this name come from? And supposedly obviously is a bit of a marketing term, but like, where did that come from? Is there any merit to it? Yeah. So specifically when we're talking about like the organic label, um, you know, there are definitely regulations behind that label. So there are specific regulations as far as farming practices, you know, like specific ingredients that can and can't be used. Um, GMOs can't be used. Uh, specific fertilizers and pesticides can't be used. So when we're talking about that label, like there, there are regulations. There are things that have to be met in order for your product to be able to get organic certified. However, um, what the consumer thinks that label means is not necessarily what it means. So that label, it doesn't translate into healthier. It doesn't translate into safer. And it doesn't even necessarily translate into better for the environment, which are, I would say, the top three reasons why somebody would be purchasing something with that label. 
which is a reason, you know, why I used to purchase things with that label. And so, um, so yes, there are definitely regulations behind it, but it doesn't translate into what most consumers think it translates into, which is why I consider it a marketing label because it is marketing to the consumer and not accurately portraying what that label means. Um, so then the dirty dozen and the clean 15 sort of goes a step beyond that label. And this was a list that was put together by the environmental working group. Um, so the EWG and um, basically every spring they come out with the dirty dozen and it's the top 12, what they call dirtiest fruits and vegetables. And um, not fear mongering at all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the way that they communicate it, it, if you don't really look into it and you're, you just kind of read a little bit about it, it sounds like to, to most consumers, what they think it means is those fruits and vegetables have just a ton of pesticide residues at unsafe levels, which is not the case at all. So um, the first thing is that they don't even include organic in this list or assessment whatsoever. And so organic foods are also going to have pesticide residues because pesticides are used. Um, they aren't taking organic into account in this list at all. They're just, they're just taking data and the data that they're taking is from the USDA. So the USDA regularly tests uh, pesticide residues on produce to ensure that they're at safe levels. And so, and this data is showing us how incredibly safe our food supply is from a pesticide residue perspective. Um, because the levels that are being found are hundreds to thousands of times below the tolerance levels and the tolerance levels are set hundreds to thousands of times below any level that would be harmful. So, so really this data is showing us how safe our produce is and the EWG is taking this data and like I say on my page all the time, the dose makes the poison. They're not even taking dose into account. So they're literally just counting the number of different pesticides that have been detected. And they're making that list based off of that. They're not considering what the chemicals are, what the concentrations are. They're literally just like, oh, strawberries, those have 10 different, 10 different residues. Blueberries have eight. And so like they make their list that way, not, not communicating the fact that like, the levels that are being found are so low that like it, it's not a concern. Um, there's a website called safefruitsandveggies.com that you can go to and it shows you based on like a child, um, an adult, a teenager, like how many servings of each of these things you would have to consume to get to a potentially harmful level. And it's like hundreds of servings a day for multiple days in a row. So, I mean, it's just ridiculous to be scaring consumers over things that Americans need to be eating more of. Like we, most Americans aren't getting enough fruits and vegetables and organic is more expensive. It's not as accessible, accessible to everyone, you know, whether you don't have a grocery store where you can get organic or you just financially can't afford it. Um, and so to be scaring consumers over conventional when, you know, we should be eating more, it's just, it is, it's a harmful, I mean, at the end of the day, it is the harmful list. And they have done surveys um, asking specifically low-income populations, like, what do these lists do? And it, it, it makes them buy less produce overall. And so, obviously, that's not a good thing. And so, yeah, these lists, these, they're not helpful. And 
they're actually pretty harmful. So I find it funny that it's a that their list is made of the number of different pesticides and potentially not the concentration of each one. You could have, and I know apples have trace amounts of cyanide. We can talk about like dose makes the poison totally. But you could have fruit that is sprayed with a lethal amount of cyanide, but that's the only pesticide, and it wouldn't make the list because it's got one pesticide. So that I find that hysterical. I also (laughs) caught myself asking because like me this is not something where i have integrated in the political structure of all this like not political but like the the structure of like who's benefiting from what i'm thinking who who benefits from this list like what's their dog in this fight in making this list yeah that's a great question because everyone is always like well what's the point so the ewg is an organization that is funded mostly by the organic industry so um you can go to their website you can look at their funding page um i think I think uh, Mark Hyman is one of their, on their board of directors. And um, yeah, so there's just some questionable questionable people on the board of directors, but then also they are funded by a lot of um, organic companies. So, I mean, basically their whole goal is to get consumers to buy more organic foods. And so that's how they're doing it. And yeah, it's just, it's ridiculous and i mean yeah i mean i think there are some things um that they do come out with that are i don't know the way that they the way that they communicate things is like they might have at some points in time like a valid um i don't know a valid like reason to bring up like you know the forever chemicals thing that's a huge thing now like the pfas and the pfoa and all that kind of stuff and um, you know, they bring that up in such like a sensational way. Like it, it's, it's like, yes, like maybe those compounds are concerning and we definitely need to research them more. But what they do is they almost like make consumers so afraid about things. And it's just like, I don't know. I feel like there's just like a, a middle ground there where they're just completely missing it. It's like they want to get attention to these things, but they're like getting attention to it in just the wrong way so yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. i think the sen- sensationalization of things is in and of itself like like that's almost circles back to kind of what you were saying about con- like content producers on social media where there's almost like and you can, you can take mark hyman we can talk about him straight up but like there's gonna be things that he posts that i don't disagree with and the unfortunate part is that there's just it's woven into like a whole bunch of bullshit and so it's woven into bullshit and sense 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 so Jesus, uh, sensationalism. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so it's woven together, unfortunately, with stuff that you might, you're going to like, you're like, it's like one of those, it's like subliminal messaging. It's like, you're nodding your head along with like a couple things that make sense. And then you catch yourself nodding along to like, you know, don't eat anything that is not whole food, but like at the same time, here's my like list of supplements you can buy on my website. It's like, you're like nodding along <laughs> exactly. and you're like, don't catch yourself. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. So let's, if we're looking at organic, you had mentioned three things. I think you said, is it better for, I have in my mind, two things that kind of, at the end of the day, we want it to be better for the consumer, let's say, or whether I'm, when I'm considering buying organic or not organic, like, am I buying organic because it's better for the consumer or, and I guess better for the consumer means either from a nutrition standpoint or maybe in an indirect way, environmentally better. And so I think we could just start briefly discussing the nutrition quality or not better quality of organic food. And my a sub question would be, does that, there's probably a general answer that you can give to that. And there might be maybe more specific, like does it differ depending on one, who you're getting it from? And two, maybe what the food is. I mean, are there t- some times where you're like, well, we can't just say, 
that the nutrition quality is not better across the board. Now, maybe we can, you're going to answer that, but I'm also curious, like, I think that sentence probably from a utilitarian perspective does more good than harm because it gets these some of these people who are turned off by the, the fact that they can't afford maybe or it's less accessible. Um, but uh, anyway, I'll let you answer. I'll stop rambling. I'm, I'm curious if there's a, what the nutritional difference is maybe across the board and maybe does that differ on a, a, a produce to produce ratio or basis? Yeah, so there have been a few um, meta-analyses that have um, compared conventional, conventional to organic and they're isn't a significant difference in nutrition. So you're going to have the same variability um, from even conventional farms based on, you know, year to year region, you know, region that it's coming from. So the variations between conventional and organic are basically the same variation between, you know, two conventional farms or two organic farms. So um, I, yeah, I wouldn't say there is from a nutritional perspective, any reason to purchase organic. Um, you know, if you have a local organic farm that's near you that you want to support, go ahead. There's, you know, I think a lot of times too, it's difficult to communicate this without people thinking I'm like against organic. And it's not, it's not that I'm against it. Um, if that's what you want to purchase or, you know, sometimes there are specific locations where your specific grocery store might be closer to an organic farm. So when you go there, the the produce, the organic produce always looks better for some reason and tastes better. Like, yeah, if you can afford it and you think it tastes better, go ahead and buy it. But um, nutritionally, it isn't, it isn't better than conventional. Um, you know, it isn't safer. We kind of went over like the pesticide residues. I know that's a big reason for people buying organic, but organic uses pesticides. Organic will have um, trace levels of pesticide residues and um, that's not a health concern or a safety concern on conventional or organic. So, you know, there really isn't a reason from a nutritional perspective why you should be buying organic over conventional. Um, and then, you know, uh, from an environmental perspective too, there are, there are pros and cons to, to both methods. I mean, I think the thing that people sort of need to understand about organic is that really it is just a subset of conventional. And so um, any practice that organic uses, any pesticide, any fertilizer that organic uses, conventional can use as well. Um, going the opposite way is not true. So like there could be some newer formulations of synthetic pesticides that are actually less persistent in the environment that are less toxic. And organic farmers can't use them just simply because they are not natural. And so using that sort of de designation of, you know, just sort of using the appeal to nature fallacy to set regulations, it, it doesn't make sense from a scientific perspective. And that's sort of where you get into the marketing part of it. Like it's not, these, these regulations around organic sound good to the consumer. But in reality, it, it doesn't make sense. Like, why, why are you just not allowing farmers to use GMOs that could potentially be more environmentally friendly, you know, like specific synthetic pesticides that could be better for the environment? And like, they're not allowed just because they're not natural. And so, um, you know, the, one of the biggest reasons why organic overall just isn't better for the environment is just because um, it takes a lot more land to grow the same amount of food. And so, you know, obviously that is a lot worse for the environment and just not allowing for, for GMOs as well when, when they can um, 
you know, reduce emissions and um, reduce tilling in some cases. And so it really is just, that's kind of where the marketing comes in. Like a lot of these things that you'll, that people will just state like, oh, they don't allow synthetic. They don't allow GMOs. Like that sounds good to most consumers, but it translates into actually in a lot of cases worse for the environment. So yeah, super interesting. I think at the end of the day, if I'm paying you, if just in, in general, people are okay paying extra if they get something in return for that. And, the, and it's like that you're just probably not getting something that is going to be tangible. At, I mean, it, I'm being friendlier than, than what we might be able to say, but you're just not getting something in return for the extra money. Um, right. And at that point, it's like, okay, if you want to, and my question to you before we turn to the corner, because I do want to talk about GMOs is like, somebody comes to you and says, I really want to buy organic. I think that it's, I would like to do that. I have the, I have the income. It's not, you know, the difference is not a, the monetary difference is an issue for me. What, what do you, what do you say back to them? I mean, I would say if it's something you prefer, like, I mean, I guess I would just ask like why, first of all, just to make sure like it isn't based on sure. something that's not true. Right. But um, yeah, I mean, I guess there are specific products that I have in my kitchen right now that have the organic uh, label on it. And it's like, it's, it's a product that I like, and I'm just going to keep buying it, but like, I'm not buying it for the organic label. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think if they're, like I said, like if you go to the grocery store and the, and the, you know, organic strawberries look better and it's like, Hey, I have the money to buy them. Like, yeah, sure. Go ahead. But I wouldn't specifically like, you know, a lot of times when I used to think, when I used to believe this stuff, it was like, I would never buy conventional strawberries because they were always at the top of the dirty dozen. And so obviously if you're buying it for that reason, like there's no reason to do that. But yeah, if it's just something that you prefer, go ahead. Yeah. I think that the operant part of the discussion is asking why. And I think that that's something that, right. that I love that you said, because that's a lot of times I'll get a question. It's like, Hey, Jordan, is it okay if I do this? And it's like, well, it's okay at face value, but I would like to know why, because maybe once you found, once you have more information, you make a more educated decision. You can, right. you know, people are like, is it okay if I add cardio to my routine? And I'm like, it, you know, why? And they're like, well, because otherwise I won't lose fat. It's like, well, that's actually not the case. Um, you you right. can add it if you like it, you could walk, you could run, you could do hit, you could bike, you could swim, whatever. And so I do think that asking why is super, super important. Um, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. So let, let's, let's turn the page. Cause I think that there's like, there's, I, I do want to get to like our top like help halo buzzwords in a bit, but I think staying with GMOs for a second, because I find that to be a massively misunderstood acronym and how the non-GMO label is used. And first let's start back up a big step into what is a GMO and how might it be, why do they exist? How might they be helpful? How, and how maybe are they misinterpreted? Yeah. So first of all, GMO is not a scientific term. Like I actually can't stand the term. Um, because so GMO, it literally stands for genetically modified organism. Um, however, humans have been genetically modifying crops for thousands of years. Um, so obviously through selective breeding, um, crossbreeding, you know, all these different ways that we have been modifying crops literally for thousands of years, like go look up what a, you know, what corn looked like thousands of years ago, like it wasn't edible. And so we have all of these crops that are edible um, because we have genetically modified them. Um, this isn't the type of genetic modification that is considered GMO. So um, GMO is specifically referring to the more modern 
ways that we genetically modify crops. So the more precise ways of going in and, you know, selecting one gene that we want to change um, to get a specific trait. And so it's, it's only referring to these more modern, more precise, more very heavily regulated ways of modifying crops. And um, I think the biggest thing to understand with that is it doesn't matter the process to get to the end product. Um, the safety is assessed on the end product. So there's nothing inherently um, different about the way that, you know, whatever is considered a GMO, those ways of modifying crops, like there's nothing about that that makes food the end product less safe. And in actuality, like we understand more about what is being changed because only one to, you know, a couple genes are being, are being changed. Whereas like when you're crossbreeding, like that's affecting thousands of genes and, and we don't necessarily know what the end product is going to be. And, you know, it has to go through a lot of different iterations to get to the end product that you want to get to. So the way, the way that um, these more modern ways of doing it are so much more efficient, so much more precise. Um, there's one specifically called mutagenesis, which is not considered GMO. And I always like to use this example just to kind of show how arbitrary it really is, like what is considered GMO. So um, mutagenesis is basically subjecting seeds to uh, strong chemicals or radiation to induce mutations, and then they're propagated to see what changed. And um, obviously that's very random. Like we don't know what the changes are gonna be. Um, it's not that those, the end results of that process are unsafe by any means, but um, that is not considered GMO. And there are thousands of mutant crops that have been created this way. And so it just kind of shows like how arbitrary that label really is when we're talking about more precise, more efficient. Also, the, the, one of the huge differences too is that these more modern techniques are so heavily regulated that it takes about, I think it's an average of like 13 years and $130 million to bring a GMO to market just because of all of the regulations that are surrounding it, all of the testing that has to happen before it's approved. And so um, it just doesn't make sense to be like specifically afraid of GMOs. <laughs> like it doesn't make any sense scientifically, but the non-GMO project has made, you know, a ton of money off of just essentially scaring consumers about GMOs. And the most frustrating thing about that label is that, you know, they, they say that they are um, educating consumers about GMOs, when in reality, like it's doing the exact opposite. Like the second you label a product as like, this isn't in there, like people are going to assume that thing is bad. Otherwise, like why would there be that label? And so people, people still that, when people see that label, like they're not being educated on what a GMO is, they're just being afraid of it. And on top of that, that label can be put on things that don't even have a GMO counterpart. Yeah, um, this one so, kills me. Yeah, so like a carton of orange juice, like there are no GMO oranges. Uh, a consumer that doesn't know that and thinks that GMOs are bad, they might see, you know, a carton of orange juice with the non-GMO label next to a carton without, and they might think, oh, I'm going to buy this one because that one's obviously GMO because it doesn't have a non-GMO label. Which is obviously label. bad. And, 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Which isn't, I mean, they're both non-GMO. There are no sure. GMO yes. oranges. Right. Even if there were GMO oranges, that wouldn't mean that they are <laughs> worse. But it just, it's doing nothing to educate the consumer. And it's just, it's making it more difficult to um, educate the consumer because like they're already afraid of it. And then you have to like, get them to question that first of all and then have them be open to like learning what they actually are so um it's just that one specifically is so ridiculous the definition that they've chosen for it is so arbitrary when you like understand the science behind it and um it's just scaring consumers just so unnecessarily so yeah is there I often find that these things are that there are, are grains of truth and that there it's often this like we talked about sensationalizing or extrapolating on one strand of truth and making large sweeping generalizations. Is that what like just trying my best to play the other side of the coin? Like, is there a scenario where this is actually where this is harmful and we it is the it is the extrapolation that all GMOs are bad in all contexts. That is the fallacy, the naturalist fallacy. Like, is it that there are times where this, and we need to be more specific in how we're looking at what GMO and how it's been, which genes have been modified, or is this just in general something that we just don't need to worry about at all? Well, so that's where the thing is, like people will bring up specific like issues with GMOs. And it's like, that is like, none of the issues that anyone brings up like are, can, cannot be applied to all the other ways that we modify crops. So it's like none of these like issues are specific to gotcha. only GMOs. And so that's the thing. Like it's like, yes, of course, like there there can be specific issues associated with a, you know, a, maybe a certain crop that gets planted a lot or um, specifically like Roundup Ready. Uh, made Roundup obviously very popular and it was overused in some cases which led to things like super weeds and stuff like that and um that's not necessarily like oh GMOs are bad because of that because the overuse of any pesticide or herbicide is going to is going to create that problem and so like I said you know you you could modify a crop a different way that could also be resistant to a specific herbicide and so, so none of these issues are specific only to GMOs. So again, it doesn't make sense to only like vilify that specific way of modifying crops. And, and could you give maybe an example about how the GMO might actually be aiding the consumer, maybe direct consumer listening to this podcast or people around the world? Yeah, I mean, so there are specifically like, so there are a bunch of different traits. So, um, I think a lot of people also think that it's only Roundup ready, like that's the only thing. That's just one trait. And I mean, in actuality, that has reduced um, CO2 emissions because farmers don't have to till as much because they use Roundup to kill the weeds. So they're not tilling all the time, which is better um, for the environment. It's better for the soil. Um, and so then you also have non-browning traits, which are, which reduce food waste. So there's non-browning apples. There's, I think there's like a non-browning potato. So they last longer, um, less food waste. Uh, there are different things that are resistant to, um, specific diseases. So the, the papaya industry in Hawaii was almost wiped out at one point and they figured out a way to make it resistant to the disease that was causing all of, you know, the entire papaya industry basically was 
going to be non-existent anymore. And so if it wasn't for GMO papaya, that industry would have just completely gone away. And so, yeah, there's, there's so many different ways. And then as we, you know, as climate change starts becoming an issue, like there are ways to modify crops for um, drought tolerance and things like that, that might be helpful in the future. So um, yeah, so again, just to vilify these, these ways of really like amazing technologies that have been able to feed a lot of people, which otherwise like possibly wouldn't have, you know, we would have a lot less food. We would have, um, you know, maybe even less safe food and you know so it's like to vilify these things that are actually like honestly saving lives is just sort of it's ridiculous <laughs> like it doesn't make any sense yeah and definitely very very fascinating fascinating to hear from you is like behind the curtain on that so that's super cool so let's let's move to uh, we've talked about organic and non-gmo now and those two might fall definitely into our like marketing buzzword not entirely they have a meaning they have a real meaning it's not entire bullshit but the maybe the how the consumer is ending up applying that to their life might be bullshit but let's talk about the word health halos and and what one what that means and maybe what are some of them and i wrote down directly in my notes like what are the, some of them that piss you off the most right now that are like the most <laughs> maybe the most abused and maybe the most harmful or misleading when it comes to affecting the consumer yeah, so, well, I think one, like, probably the oldest one, which maybe isn't really that relevant anymore, because I think people know it doesn't really mean anything, is natural. So um, that has no FDA definition. I don't like, think, I think people, people know that that doesn't matter. I don't, okay. don't give people a lot of credit. <laughs> maybe I'm yeah, just yeah, yeah. so, okay. like, no, used to good. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep going. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, so, so natural is probably one of the oldest ones. But, yeah, it has no FDA definition. Like, it doesn't some of the most toxic chemicals we know are natural. So even like if it did have a definition, it wouldn't necessarily mean safer. So that's a huge one. Um, another one that I can't stand is superfood. Like that one to me is just like makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> um, like what, what people end up deeming superfoods and then all of a sudden like everything with that ingredient is super expensive and everybody wants it when there could be like something else very similar in nutrition that nobody is calling a superfood like that one to me is just ridiculous it would be fun it would be fun in a in a you know in a bubble in like a hypothetical scenario to have been in the discussion in the boardroom where somebody was standing i always think about this stuff like when someone's standing in front of the, a group of other people in this like long conference room table and he's got a whiteboard and he writes on the top he's like superfood and everyone's like wow yeah. genius <laughs> like it's like and they're like what does it mean he's like I have no fucking clue. Goji it berries. It doesn't matter. He's like, goji yeah. berries. Slap it on there, right. kale. It's great. Tastes exactly. like shit. It's probably good for you. Like, And so right. I always find that hysterical. Of like, And I think about that yeah. with like, uh, sometimes with like commercials too. But like, it just like, it is interesting. Uh, of course, it's a sad by the time it reaches the consumer. But I do find that interesting. Somebody thought they were like, wow. It's like literally the most, all the way down to like, like you said, your child can understand yeah. what that word does or doesn't mean can, can, can come up with their own definition because there is no real definition of what that means so right. yeah i agree that one is particularly uh yeah nondescript and and potentially yeah. bad for the consumer yeah i mean the, the word itself yeah. the foods that, that, that would be under that label we would agree i think if you tried your hardest it's same with like clean eating and stuff it's like no actual objective definition but like i think we can try our best to give it one but that's still 
uh, we're just we're just working backwards instead we're like trying to band-aid the problem with like oh let's 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 as a community of like actually critically thinking people like try and help others by saying okay what they really mean is this it's like what they really mean is they're trying to make you buy this really expensive product you know right yeah i mean the, yeah the clean the clean eating one is is huge too like that one i mean there are specific like panera comes to mind of like they literally have a list going back to like oh something like your your child can, could understand. So like their list was called like the no, no list. And I was just like, are oh, you no. kidding me? Genius. Like, so it was like a bunch of, you know, a list of like, I don't know, like 50, it was a bunch of ingredients that were like, these are no, no ingredients that we don't have in our foods. And it's just like, how ridiculous. And like, they weren't even things that were, you know, like unsafe. And it was just like, it just gives the illusion that like, oh, they really care about our health. Like they're not allowing for these ingredients. And I mean, places like Whole Foods are the same way. There are specific ingredients that they don't allow in their products. And so, you know, a lot of times too, that drives um, product development. So the company that I worked for that, um, you know, had those labels and all that kind of stuff, it's like they wanted to get their their products into Whole Foods. So it was like, you just wouldn't... Um, formulate with those ingredients because Whole Foods wouldn't take it. And so a lot of times like these huge companies also, depending on what they deem to be superfood or clean, I mean, that drives a lot of product development and um, eventually what consumers are demanding. And so, and also it can go the other way, like consumer demand can influence those lists too. Like if there's a bunch of consumers, like we don't want this in our food anymore, like Whole Foods, whether it's a safety issue or not, they're going to add it to their list because it's like, well, consumers don't want this and we want them to shop at our store. So um, sort of went off track there, but <laughs> but yeah, the clean eating one is one that I just, I can't stand um, because it it's always implying that something, the alternative is dirty. And, and then that just gets into disordered, you know, disordered eating and um, people that try to adhere to whatever they that's the thing too it's like there's not a set definition so you can get very strict with it and um you know have a list of foods that you consider clean and it eventually can end up being you know an eating disorder or just a disordered relationship with food because it's like I have this list of clean, clean foods and I'm only eating these because I consider them clean when in reality, that doesn't mean anything. Like it, it really doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Absolutely. It, and that's what I was, that's why I just wrote, jotted down is like, there are some of these health halos, marketing buzzwords that have objective definitions that are, by the time they reach a consumer, the consumer doesn't really understand that if they are benefiting or not. But then there's a list of these that don't have objective definitions. I almost don't even know if the distinction between those two things really matters because at the end of the day, like organic and GM, non-GMO have distinct definitions. But even if though they have distinct definitions, it still doesn't make a difference. They're still used in very much the same way, like clean, right. natural, superfood, real, toxic, functional, like none of these things are like you said, have FDA approved definitions, but you could throw in vegan, non-GMO, gluten-free, organic. Those those have legitimately like uh, right. actual objective definitions, but at the end of the day, it doesn't, doesn't matter. They're being used in the same way. Now gluten-free, vegan yeah. can be, you know, obviously if you are if you have celiac and you, you want, you're eating gluten-free, then that's a necessary um, d uh, added uh, description to the food. But for a lot of people who are not doing, not using it for that, it's like almost like- Yeah, well, that's a, the yeah. thing with natural too. Like for the longest time, like there have been specific, you know, companies and, and just consumers that want the FDA to define it. And it's like, even if they did, like 
what who cares like exactly <laughs> so right. they def they define it that doesn't automatically mean like now that you meet the definition of whatever they define natural like oh all now of a sudden good. like that product is all of a sudden safer or healthier like it still wouldn't mean anything yeah. so yeah yeah i feel like there's uh the sugar alternatives one is all the rage right now i think it's a hot it's a hot one right now the co it's coconut sugar we have agave we have raw sugar in the raw we have you know at the end of the day like people have a massive misconception about sugar in general it's like this is the right. same shit that's going on in your body now we could talk about artificial sweeteners in a different way but like something that is sugar replaced with something that is also sugar is all the rage right now right <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah yep were you ever on the packaging side of things because i think that that's also something if you go to whole foods it's like and I shop at Whole Foods sometimes, and I shop at my, the more local supermarket other times. And if you walk through it, it's like there's Whole Foods has a one of these conference rooms where they're looking at packaging almost only of like, does this meet our brand of what the packaging is supposed to look like? Like that, it's like yep. a different style of, of of material, and then the different imaging on it, and again, different words that are highlighted. Do you were you ever on that packaging side of things? A little bit like I was mostly um, just, you know, like, hey, can you review this for like the claims we're making and stuff like that. But a little bit like just the, the amount of work because because the smaller company that I worked at, they, they did like a whole complete like rebranding of their um, the front of their package and all their packaging. And it was honestly like just crazy how just making your package look different or, uh, you know, a different branding on it or something like that like how much that can change like it's literally like the same product but all of a sudden it's like people just assume it's like healthier based on your new packaging like it is crazy how much that actually matters yeah definitely <laughs> i and i i have caught myself not getting overly caught up in it but noticing myself like if it as a deal breaker between two products of like, well, look at this nice matte packaging with like a mm -hmm. like a nice grass field with the cow on it. I'm like, well, even for right. like dog, I think honestly, I don't for anybody who has a dog or has a pet, like that is another one where like the whole pet aisle of foods looks like it is the most amazing food you've ever given your pet in its entire life you open the bag it's the same fucking burnt pellets right of food. it's the <laughs> same thing it's like i read it and i'm like it's like grass-fed beef brown rice broccoli sprouts and then i open the bag i'm like it's the same shit now and obviously it's made right. different things, but it's like the packaging on that stuff is like always a like a bison grazing with like wings on it or something ridiculous um yeah yeah i want to ask you we're coming up on an hour here i want to ask you one question that i'm 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 mad or ashamed a little that i asked you with only five minutes left but we agree that there's a problem or at least that there's like this is a that this is suboptimal for the consumer like and we live in a capitalist society so the answer to this question is not easy but like what is the solution oh that's tough um i mean <laughs> i would say less marketing although i know that's never going to happen but honestly like you know just like we talked about like how much the packaging does matter like how much those front of package claims and just all that kind of stuff like and you know like i said working at a small company trying to get into the market like i understand you know marketing is marketing it's never going to go away um i just wish like i wish consumers understood like how much of that plays a part like these claims on the front of the package like 
um, you know, I mostly just tell people like, don't even worry about like what it says on the front. Don't worry about like the labels on the front. Like if you want to know the nutrition, I mean, all the factual things are going to be listed. Like the nutrition panel is factual. The ingredient deck is factual. Like these are factual things. And, and, and even so, those get bent, you know? And so like, and those can get bent. And, yeah. And, and, and I agree that they're factual, yeah. but yeah, there's, there's, there's gray area there sometimes, you know, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's just tough. It is tough with with the marketing. I mean, a lot of, I mean, honestly, like a lot of the things that I sort of have to clear up, I mean, a lot of it is just like things going around social media, which has made it, I feel like a lot worse in some cases. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is just coming from like trying to push the envelope in, in what can we say on our package? Like, you know, even just like different commercials or the way that they position their, their, uh, you know, company or their specific product. And I think a lot of times too, it's like, instead of just saying like, our product is great, here's why it's like, our product is great. And it's better than this other product, because this is this other product is toxic. And it's like, why, like, why do we have to go to the extent of like, saying like this alternative is toxic like that's that's like a huge thing being thrown around now too like this contains toxic chemicals and it's like our food is incredibly safe I feel like we're just taking these very small things and blowing them so out of proportion like we don't understand like even how safe our food is (laughs) and so like just these little things just get blown way out of proportion and then like it goes around on TikTok and it's like a big game of telephone on TikTok and so like I mean, I think a lot of it too can just be like, take a quick second to like back check, check something like before you share it too, because so many times when I clear something up, somebody's like, oh my gosh, I shared this without even thinking about it. And it's like, just take a step back for like one second. And before you share it, just like take a second to fact check it. Or if you're not sure, just don't share it at all. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there, I think there's a lot of different solutions. I don't think there's one solution and all of those solutions that I can think of would be probably worse for the companies because they wouldn't be able to market their stuff like they do. So it probably won't necessarily happen. So yeah, agreed. There's a consumer education side and there's some responsibility that I do think I try and talk about on my page every now and again. It's like, there is there are a lot of people out there trying to fool you, trying to get you to buy their product, whatever that may be. But like, there's also some responsibility on you, even as an uneducated consumer, to be educated or to try and be educated or to fact check. Uh, most of the stuff that you're that you're like could find is a Google search away. Uh, even just right. like the even the most bs at the top of google with the number one even the ad probably gets you a little bit closer but um yeah there's a consumer education side of things and then there's the regulation side of things which is that's a slippery slope we're not even going to go down there i think that that can be a whole nother topic of conversation so i'll let you go i'd love if you tell everybody where they can find you whatever you want to plug wherever people wherever the best way to get in contact with you is let everybody know yeah so um instagram it's at food science babe and then i'm also on facebook food science babe um, I am on TikTok as well. And then I, I do also have a Patreon account too that people can sign up for. And I do some like extra like live Q and A's and stuff like that in there. So I get, I've, you know, the more followers I get, I get a lot of messages. And so I try to respond to messages, but obviously I can't respond to all of them. So, 
for Patreon members, like if they do message me, I always make sure I respond. So cool. very cool. And you had mentioned actually really funny when I asked you about your Instagram account, you were like, it was, you know, it's in reference to a famous account that doesn't have the word or famous, whatever. Somebody <laughs> who's like has a lot of followers without the word science. And I was like, you should have a backup account, which is, you know, <laughs> medical science medium, maybe. Um, yeah. you, you just, just kind of get, get out ahead of that right now before Lane takes it, you know? That's uh, a good idea. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Aaron, thank you so much for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks again for having me. <laughs> thanks for tuning in to this episode of Where Optimal Meets Practical. If you liked the episode, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media or left a five-star review on iTunes. That stuff really helps. If you ever want to get in touch with me, just shoot me a DM on Instagram, at Jordan Lips Fitness. I'm always around to chat. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.